Um, and it reminded me of uh, when I was his age, what I was doing in my life, you know? So like David's in college, junior, right? Junior in college. And you think about my college years. And, you know, that's a time of life where you're sort of finding yourself and who you are and how you're, I guess that's a lifelong pursuit. We're kind of finding ourselves, but, you know, discovering what you want to do with your life and all that sort of stuff. And I was thinking about the different jobs that I had in college, you know, like the diversity of jobs that I was I'm trying to figure out who I was. So like I worked at a restaurant for a time. I was really bad at it. I hated it. That didn't last very long. I did landscaping. I did landscaping quite a bit off and on. I guess that was okay. One time, here, here's something for you to like make a mental note of. One time I was working, one of the other things I was doing, I, I worked for this millionaire. Like I kind of just did odd jobs for him. And uh, I was landscaping his place and I was hunched over like this for like four hours straight, just picking weeds like this. And I stood up and I was like, oh, my leg fell asleep, you know? And I tried to shake it out and it, and it didn't go away for like two months. I got, I got something called drop foot. And so I was walking around like shaggy, you know, from Scooby-Doo, <laughs> flopping it around, so don't do that. But I remember doing landscaping, I remember doing painting. Uh, I had a time when I was a bouncer at a, at a, a bar in the University of Akron which is a very interesting job, you know? Like when, when your job is to keep order and, you know, a safe environment when other people are uh, drinking and getting a little crazy, it makes for some interesting times. And my boss at that time, the guy who was the head of security there, uh, was a guy named Mel. And uh, we called him Big Mel. You know why? He was big. Like he was a big dude. Like I know... Um, Everybody's kind of big compared to me, but he was like 6'6", all of 350 pounds. He he used to play semi-pro football and, you know, just this big hulking guy. But Mel was, um, like, you never saw him. So he's the head of security at a college bar where, you know, people would get crazy. But you never saw Mel fight. You never saw him fight. Huge man, like super intimidating guy but you never saw him fight. There were little stories that floated around, you know, of him putting some guy in the hospital, you know, things like that. But, but I never saw him fight, and there were lots of opportunities to do that. So I remember one night, um, distinctly, there was a patron at the bar who was getting crazy, and he had had way too much to drink, and he was getting loud and obnoxious and kind of messing around with other people. And so we went up to him, and we said, hey, buddy, you got to you got to calm down, you know, like you got to get under control here. And it didn't help. And so he kind of got worse. And so we, we cut him off and we said, you can't, you can't drink anymore. And it got worse. And so um, it was a wing place. And so he had wings he was also eating. And so we got, um, you know, the little styrofoam to, to go container and we packed up his wings for him. And we said, you need, you need to go. And uh, he became irate because of the injustice that was done to him, right? And so we escorted him outside. And when we got outside, he wanted to fight. And um, so Mel was in front of me. So you probably couldn't have even seen me behind him. But Mel was in front of me. And uh, this guy was probably half the size of Big Mel. And he was yelling at him and cussing at him and all this sort of stuff. And Mel was just sort of taking it. And he's like, you need to go. You know, you need, we're going to call the cops if you don't go, right? And so um, the guy took his wings 
his box, his styrofoam box of wings, and he, and he grabbed the two lids, and he went, boom, and he flung them all over Big Mel's chest. And, and he, like the attire that we wore was, um, you had to wear like a plain white button-down shirt because we were an upscale bar, right? Like, I got to dress up and wear like a dress shirt, you know? So imagine, you know, these slimy buffalo wings smeared all over his shirt. And I thought, oh my, like, Mel's going to kill this guy, you know? Like, he's going he's gonna to pound him. And you know what happened? Nothing. Mel didn't punch him. Mel didn't flatten him. Like, I could not believe it. He just took it. And he said, go inside and call the cops. And so I went inside and we called the cops and came back out and the guy had scampered off before the, before the cops came. And I remember thinking like, so I was, I was, I don't know, 20, 21 years old. I remember thinking what an impression that made on me. Because I thought, I don't know that I could have done that. You know, this guy was heaping abuse on Mel, like saying terrible things, throwing wings on him. I think he had an extra shirt. Like, he's probably had this happen before, you know. He, came in, he changed his shirt, and then he just kind of went about his night, and he kept order the rest of the night. I thought, I don't know that I could have done that. Like, I don't know that I could have not retaliated, right? Like, conflict. It, it's not the kind of thing that just happens at a college bar on a Saturday night. Like, it's an inevitable part of life, right? Like, we all experience it. If you are a human being, you experience conflict in one way or another. Like, how, how and, and you know, it, it can affect our night. It can affect uh, weeks on end. It can depress us for weeks, depending on what the conflict is. It can stunt our growth for years, right? and cause us to not become all that God designed us to become. And, and each circumstance is unique, you know, and the way that we respond in those circumstances is unique as well. Let me ask you, when you think of conflict in your life, how do you deal with it? You know, like when you think of it, is it, are you the kind of person that creates kind of this pit in your stomach and you think, I don't, ugh, I just don't, I don't want to deal with it, you know? I want to get away from conflict. Or are you the kind of person that wants to stand up and fight? You know, someone's going to mess with me, I'm going to mess with them back. Like, what's your default? How do you respond to conflict? Our last series we did, uh, we just finished it last week, we did this series on the Beatitudes, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about um, with being happy. Blessed are, happy are, dot, 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 right? And a couple weeks ago, so this, there's eight of them, the seventh Beatitude, um, Jesus said this, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will become children of God. And you look at that and you go, okay, like what, what does it look like for me to be a peacemaker in my life? Like what does it look like for me to work through conflict and make peace, especially when I'm hurting, especially when that conflict causes me pain? Well, I told you a couple weeks ago that this series is kind of a double click on that idea um, of being a peacemaker. And so tonight, to this morning, we're starting this new series called Resolve. And as Beth said, we're gonna take four weeks and we're gonna look at this idea of uh, biblical conflict resolution. And I've been really excited about this series, not because, you know, like I got this all worked out and I'm the expert at resolving conflict, but um, some years ago, I um, 
had this experience, re- reading a book I'll tell you about here in a second, and going through some training that, that really changed my perspective on resolving, on what conflict is and how to resolve conflict in a healthy way in my life. Um, I think I had some, some strong misconceptions with it before, and it, and it really, like, I don't think it's too strong to say it changed my life in terms of like what it looks like for me to deal with conflict in a healthy way. And so what I've been praying for is that during this series, God would um, maybe use me as I share. This morning, there's two things in particular that I'm going to share with you um, that were huge for me in just reshaping my view of conflict. And so I'm hoping, I'm praying that God would use some of this stuff to maybe reshape your view as well and be a blessing to you too. Um, So the book that I read... um, I don't know, 10, maybe 12 years ago, and the training that I went through was, um, was this. It's called The Peacemaker. So it's a book by a guy named Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E, Ken Sandy. And he started, so he wrote this book, and he started a ministry called Peacemaking Ministry or Peacemaker Ministry. And um, I went through a training that was really good. It was really powerful. But this book, I went back, and then I read this book, and... Um, you know, of all the books, there's lots of great books on conflict resolution. Um, there's lots of Christian, great Christian books on conflict resolution. This is the best one that I found. This is so good. And the reason I think I like it is because he does an incredible job of um, the, the, the conclusions that he comes to and the things that he recommends aren't just, you know, I'm the expert and I'm a counselor and this is what I think is best. The conclusions that he comes to are all from this. I think what I love about the book so much is he, it is filled with scripture, you know? And so he looks at, in a very exhaustive way, what the Bible says about conflict and resolving conflict, and it leads him to some conclusions that have been so, so helpful for me. And so throughout this series, um, I'm going to reference some different things from this book that, um, again, have just been paramount in my life. And so hopefully they'll be helpful to you too. I would encourage you. So if you're, I know not everybody's a huge reader in here, um, but even if you skim through it or you read a little chapters here and there, I would encourage you to check this book out. Um, You can get it on Amazon or a bunch of other places, like 16 bucks. And it is worth the money and it is worth your time as you read it. So I encourage you to get it. It's called The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy. And there's another resource I want to tell you about as well. It's in your program. It's this E4 study that um, we, like kind of all the campuses of Grace Church did a few years ago called Interpersonal Relationships. And I I went back through it this past week just to kind of be reminded of some of the stuff it says. And it is really good. So it talks about relationships in general. So it's six sessions long. It talks about relationships in general, but very specifically, it talks um, in a few different sessions about resolving conflict. You know, because anytime we're in relationship with people, there's going to be a rub at times. Sooner or later, there's going to be a rub. And so um, I think he does, uh, the the various speakers do a, a great job of, Um, kind of talking about resolving conflict in a healthy way. So I'm going to share a little bit of that with you as well um, throughout the series. But it is a great thing. So you could access it online just on our website or on the app as well, the Grace Church 30 and 30 app. Um, But he does just a great job of being real and honest about it. And um, so you could do it individually. You can do it, you know, maybe in the context of of a small group or family or your grace group. It's a great discussion. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Um, So that being said, let's just jump right into it. So when I think about the Bible, I think the older and older I get, the more 
and more convinced I am that um, the answer for um, you and I dealing with conflict in a healthy way is found here. The older I get, and I know, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor and sort of expect that I would say that, but um, it's true. You read the Bible, and I don't know if you recognize this. I, I, I don't at times. It is filled with conflict. Like, there is so much conflict in the Bible. And what's interesting is sometimes it's handled in really good and healthy ways, and other times it's handled in really poor and unhealthy ways. Like, if we're honest and we read it, you're like, man, this guy handled In fact, this morning, I'm going to share, I'm going to share with you two stories that um, the conflict was handled poorly. And, and here's the interesting thing. We can learn from uh, times when it's handled well, and we can learn from times when it's handled poorly. Because the reality is, in our lives, we do the same thing, right? Like, sometimes we have some conflict going on, and we work to resolve the conflict, and we're like, man, that was really good. I handled that really. I'm proud of myself, or thank you, God. And then other times we go, I blew it. I actually made this worse. And so more and more I'm convinced. And, and you, like you, you read the Bible and you just see. It's what makes it, part of what makes it a really fascinating and interesting book. Because there is so many different experiences of conflict. From the very beginning, like just think about how the Bible is set up. From the very beginning, you open your Bible to page one, you know, to the beginning of Genesis. God creates the very first man, the very first woman. Their names are what? Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, right off the bat, there's conflict there, right? Like, what's the first thing, God, what's the one thing that God says don't do to them? Don't eat fruit from this one tree, right? And so what do they do? They go and they eat fruit from the one tree, and then God confronts Adam, and you know, remember what Adam says, the very first thing he says? My wife made me do it, right? Typical guy, right? Typical guy, my wife made me do it. We can, guys, we can learn from that. You can imagine what the conversation when they got home was like. You told God what? You see, blame me for it? Right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, there's conflict there. The very first offspring of the very first people, Cain and Abel. You know the story, Cain and Abel? The very first murder in the history of humanity. Cain obviously had unresolved conflict with his brother Abel. They do sort of this relatively benign thing in terms of their relationship. They bring these offerings to God. God accepts Abel's offering. He doesn't accept Cain's offering. And Cain's got something against his brother. We don't know all the specifics, but he's got something against his brother that that sets him off, and he goes off and he murders him. He kills him. They talk about unresolved conflict. Not that long later, we read about Noah in the Bible, right? And it's interesting, when you read about Noah and you read about the rest of the world, like surely Noah would have had conflict with everybody else around him. You read some of the, the um, words God uses to describe the world back then. He says it's corrupt, it was evil, and it was violent. And Noah wasn't, right? And so God says, I'm going to send a flood. I, I regret where things are right now. I'm going to set a flood and we're going to send a flood and we're going to start over. Right? I want you to build this ark, you and your, and your kids, your family, go into this ark. And it takes him years to build the ark. Can you imagine the sort of conflict that must have happened? Like we have to read between the lines a little bit, between Noah and people walking by going, what in the world are you doing? Right? Conflict. 
You think about Jacob and Esau a little bit later in the Bible, two twins, right? Twin sons. And uh, Jacob ends up convincing his brother Esau. Esau came out just before him. He was the firstborn. And back then when you're the firstborn, you get a lot of blessing. You get a lot of benefit to that double, basically a double portion of the secondborn and the third. And so Jacob convinces him to sell him his birthright, to give him his birthright. And then he tricks him later into actually receiving the blessing of it. And they have such deep-seated conflict that Jacob has to run away because Esau wants to kill him. And Jacob's gone for years, starts a family, he's gone for years, like a conflict. You think about Moses and Aaron, they had deep conflict with Pharaoh in Egypt. We talked about this last week. They also had conflict with the very people that they were leading. You jump to the New Testament, you read through the Gospels, and you're like, the Gospels are full of conflict. I mean, look at Jesus' life. Jesus' life for who he is, maybe this is, there's a lot that we can learn from this. Jesus, God the Son, lived with a lot of conflict in his life. Over and over you see the conflict that he had with the other religious leaders, with the Pharisees, right? Jesus' life was filled with conflict. You look at his disciples. His disciples also had lots of different conflict. They had conflict, of course, with the other Jews as well, but they even had conflict with each other. One of the stories that makes me, it kind of makes me chuckle. Um, you know, there's two brothers that are disciples, James and John. You remember this story? And their mom goes to Jesus, and they're like, hey, and she's like, hey, Jesus, how about you give my boys the, the most honored positions? When you establish your kingdom, let one of them sit on your right and the other one on your left. Would you do that for me, please, Jesus? And the other disciples hear about that, and how do you think they respond to that? Not good. It's conflict, right? You think about a guy named Stephen a little bit later, one of the early leaders of the church. He had such conflict with the other Jews because of his faith in Jesus that they killed him. You think of two of the most godly men in, the, in, in probably the history of humanity, a guy named Barnabas and a guy named Paul, early leaders in the church. They had a deep-seated conflict over a guy named Mark. Mark was another uh, man who was in ministry with them, and there was a time when he abandoned them. He left Right? And then he came back, and Barnabas is like, we need to give him a second chance. And Paul's like, no, we don't. I don't trust him anymore. Barnabas is like, no, we need to give him a second chance. Paul's like, no, I'm not giving him a second chance. And you know what they did? They had such conflict that they split. And Barnabas took Mark with him, John Mark with him, and Paul took another guy named Silas. Conflict. Right? And you see it, that's, that's like a few examples. You see it over and over and over again. And, and then you look at our lives, and we're like, I see conflict in my life over and over and over again and every other person who's walked the face of this planet. So I think this is a really important topic for us to dig into. And I was, I was praying this morning, you know, just about what I wanted to say. And, you know, the reality is we're all dealing with it. Some of us, it's very intense right now. Some of us, it's less intense, but it's going to be coming, right, for each of us. And some people are in such bondage because of co unresolved conflict in their life that my prayer with this series is that maybe some of that bondage we would be able to be freed from. So in his book, in that Peacemaker book I was showing you about, that guy Ken Sandy, he, he gives kind of three cl big classifications for our responses to conflict. Really, there's three main responses to conflict that I want to share with you this morning. And as I do, I want you to think about, like, what's your default, okay? There's three main ways that we could respond to conflict. What's the default way that you respond? It's going to be, um, actually, it'll probably be one of the first two. I'm going to challenge you to choose to respond in the third way, okay? 
So, so here's the first one. Let me tell you a story from the Bible and see if you can guess what the, the first kind of big, big response to conflict is. The story is um, a guy named Eli. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's this priest named Eli. Maybe some of you have read about him before. And Eli seemed like a pretty good guy in a lot of ways. He loved God. He was the head priest. He was trying to, to lead the people. But Eli had these two boys, these two sons, who were rotten. I mean, they were just, they were bad, bad guys. And so they had no respect. So these are the priests, right? No respect for God. They were terrible to people. They stole from the people who brought these sacrifices. They disrespected them. They took advantage sexually of the women that worked at the temple, right? Kind of like a boss taking advantage of an employee. Like, that's what they did. Like, that's what these guys were like. And Eli knew it, Right? Eli knew it. He had had people, in fact, you read the story, people came to him and they're like, do you know what your sons are doing, right? How would you respond in that situation? If you're Eli, how would you respond in that situation? And what would you do? Eli talked to them a little bit. I'm like, guys, cut it out. Stop it. That's about it. And they ignored him. They didn't care what he was saying, right? But Eli was in denial with it. That, that was his response. He was in denial with it. And in the end, it ended up costing him his son's lives. He didn't correct them. He didn't deal with the conflict. And in the end, God said, that's enough. They're done. And their lives ended. Denial is one example of the first category of responses. And they're called escape responses. Escape responses. So Sandy says it this way. says, some people tend to use escape responses when they're more interested in avoiding unpleasant people or situations than in resolving differences. And so you read that, and for some of us, I'm confident of this, some of us in here, this is your default, right? When you encounter conflict in your life, this is what comes most natural. We escape we run away, right? We, we push it way down deep and we go, I don't want to think about that anymore. We, we avoid that person. We, we don't talk about that thing anymore, right? Sound familiar to anybody? And so Sandy would look at this and he would say, Ken Sandy, and he would say, there's really three main types of escape responses that we have. The first one is this one that Eli did. It's denial. And so he describes it this way. He says, one way to escape from a conflict is to pretend that a problem does not exist. Another way is to refuse to do what should be done to resolve the conflict properly. These responses bring only temporary relief and usually make matters worse. Let me ask you, how many of us have been in denial about a problem, about a conflict, if we're honest, we know is there. Like we, we know it exists. But we're like, I just, I don't want to deal with it. And whether it's conscious or subconscious, we just kind of deny that it's there because we want to take the path of least resistance, right? That's denial. That's an escape response. That's the first category. We saw that in Eli. Here's the second one, flight, to flee, right? Another way to escape from conflict is to run away. This may take the form of pulling away from a relationship quitting a job, filing for divorce, or changing churches. Flight may be legitimate in extreme circumstances, but in most cases, it only postpones a proper solution to a problem. Let me ask you, 
How many of us have run away from a conflict that we just didn't want to deal with? Even though we knew it needed to be dealt with, right? When we, maybe it's, you know, running away from a job. We go, I, you know, my boss is terrible. And have you talked to him? No, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to look for a new job. And we leave that job. Maybe it's, you know, a relationship that we're in. He talks about divorce in there. Where we go, you know what, my wife or my husband, they just don't understand me. And I'm just tired. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contact my attorney this week, you know. And we leave the, the marriage or we leave the relationship. Or maybe we leave the actual area and we go, there's too much stuff here. I'm just, I'm going to pack up and I'm going to leave. I don't want to deal with the problem, right? Sandy would say, all those things just sort of delays the inevitable. It doesn't help, right? Eventually, the conflict needs to be dealt with in order for us to be healthy. That's the second one, flight. So denial, flight. Here's the last one, and it's suicide. It says, when people lose all hope of resolving conflict, they may seek to escape from the situation or make a desperate cry for help by attempting to take their own lives. He says, suicide is never a right way to deal with conflict. And I'd say many of us um, know from firsthand experience what it's like to lose somebody that we love through suicide. And we know firsthand um, the kind of pain and trauma and heartache that it leaves the people that um, that person left that never uh, goes away, you know? At least not completely, it changes, but it never goes away completely. And so this is the most, it's the ultimate escape response, right? And so Sandy says, and I appreciate this, he says, suicide is never a right way to deal with conflict. So these are escape responses. And my bet is that there's a lot of us that would look at those and we go, yeah, if I'm honest, that's my default. Like when there's conflict that happens, my default is to run away. It's to deny it. It's to flee. It's to run away and pretend like it's not there because I don't want to deal with it, Right? Escape responses are only one kind of response. we talked talk about two, two other ones. See if you can figure out what the, the second type of response is. Um, so maybe some of us have heard the story of Samson in the Bible. I remember when I was a kid, lying on my parents' bed uh, with a picture Bible, reading them reading me stories about Samson. And I thought, man, Samson's so... Because, you know, in the picture Bible, he's always got, like, his shirt off, and he's really big and strong and muscular. And I thought, man... Samson's so cool and strong, I want to be like Samson. And then you read the Bible as an adult or, or just as a kid, you read it, and you're like, man, he was not a very good dude. I don't think I want to be like Samson anymore. But if you know the story of Samson, maybe the most famous part of Samson's life is the part with his wife Delilah, right? Samson was a guy who was um, abnormally strong. In fact, he was supernaturally strong. And so he, he lived in a time in Israel when there, this was before the kings, and Israel was crazy. Everybody sort of did whatever they wanted to. And Samson was essentially the most powerful guy in the kingdom. And so he was a judge back there. You read about him in the book of Judges, right? And so a lot of us know about Samson and, um, and Delilah, his wife, to, uh, Delilah, and she, you know, got his hair, she cuts his hair and he loses all his strength and stuff. But did you know that before Delilah, he was actually married to another woman, 
right? And so at that time, the Philistines were really like oppressive to the Israelites. And Samson, he's a young man, he's like, I like this Philistine lady over here. Dad, get her to be my wife, right? And he goes and he marries this lady. And um, the Philistines, they're like, you need some Philistine friends. You need some Philistine companions. And so they give him these 30 companions to be kind of his Philistine friends. And so he marries this woman. They're kind of sitting around. He's with his friends. And he tells them a riddle. And he says, listen, if you can give me, if you can answer my riddle, then I will give each of you 30 men a new set of linens and a new set of clothing. However, if you can't answer my riddle, then you have to give me 30 new linens and 30 new clothing, right? That's, a, that's the deal. He's, he's going to tell them his riddle. I guess this is what people did before the internet, right? It doesn't work today. Let me tell you a riddle. Today we like think about it for 10 seconds and we go, I don't know, let me Google it, right? But back then they didn't have all that sort of stuff. And so he, he tells them this riddle. They can't get it. And eventually they coerce his wife to, who also is a Philistine, to tell them the answer to it. And so they tell him the answer. And when Samson finds out that she told them, um, he flips out. He like goes crazy. And he goes and he kills 30 other Philistine men. He takes their linens, he takes their clothing, and he gives it to these other 30 guys, right? And then he essentially spends the rest of his life killing more Philistines, getting revenge on them. So let me ask you, what sort of a response do you think Samson took? Samson took an attack response, right? Attack responses are the second kind of responses that we have to conflict. This is how Sandy says it. He says, people tend to use attack responses when they're more interested in controlling others and getting their way than in preserving a relationship. And I'm going to read that again. Because maybe some of you in here this morning, like me, this is kind of more your default. My, I'm, I'm more, you maybe heard of fight or flight, right? I'm more of a fight kind of person. And this is really convicting to me. So people use tech responses when they're more interested in controlling others and getting their way than in preserving the relationship. And if we're honest, and this is our default, we go, yeah. I probably at times am more interested in getting my own way, right? The root of this is selfishness, right? Really the root of both of these first two are selfishness. And so for some of us, this is our default when we encounter conflict. We don't flee, we attack, right? We exert control. We, we forcibly get our way. We win the argument no matter what the cost, no matter who we bowl over in that argument. We dominate others, right? Sandy, Sandy talks about three different kind of attack responses. See if any of these ring a bell with you. Here's the first one. It's assault. He says, some people try to overcome an opponent by using various forms of force or intimidation, such as verbal attacks, including gossip and slander, physical violence, or efforts to damage a person financially or professionally. Such conduct always makes conflict worse. You hear that, you read that, you know, well, yeah, probably some of us in this room have assaulted somebody, you know, maybe especially when you're a kid, you know, it's often the way that we resolve conflict. My, me and my brother would fight and I'd go punch him or my sister would claw me in the arms or something. I think, you know, so probably the physical part, maybe some of us have dealt with, but think about how many times we have verbally assaulted people, right? That we have con in response to conflict. 
where we tear them down and we say rotten things about them, whether to their face or behind their backs, ruin their reputation, right? That's assault. And I appreciate what Sandy says here. He says at the end, he says, such, conflict, such conduct always makes conflict worse. And a lot of times we don't think about that. It doesn't make it better. It's not resolving it, attack responses. It always makes conflict worse. It's, and, and I would tell you, I'd say too, that the old you know, kids rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. It's untrue. Don't tell your kids that. It's a lie. Right? Words can be incredibly painful. Bruises heal up. Broken bones heal up. Sometimes people's words can bind us for years and years and years. Verbal assault, that's one of them. Here's the second one. Litigation, taking somebody to court. He says, although some conflicts may legitimately be taken before a civil judge, he gives a couple examples there, Lawsuits usually damage relationships, diminish our Christian witness, and often fail to achieve complete justice. This is why Christians are commanded to make every effort to settle their differences within the church rather than in the civil courts. I, I had an uncle uh, who was a judge. He's passed away now. He's my dad's twin brother. My dad's about this tall. He's, he's maybe five, five now. And his twin brother was about 6'3". It's great, right? And so um, he was a judge in Portage County, and he presided over lots and lots of different cases. And many of the cases that he presided over were uh, divorce cases. And I remember him talking to me one time about that. And he said, there's almost, and this doesn't just include divorce, but just cases in general, there's almost a 0% chance that when two parties cannot resolve their issues and they bring it to a, a judge, to court, to a judge to resolve it, he said there's almost a 0% chance that they will ever be reconciled. I thought that was interesting. The judge says this. He, and, and he said in marriage, when two people cannot resolve things and they bring it to like, we can't agree on how we're splitting it up and you decide, judge, he says, I've never seen that couple reconcile eventually. It always makes it worse. And you think, well, that's, that's telling for us, right? And so you, you read in the Bible about how you and I, if you sit here this morning and you're a Christian, so don't, you know, he says this in it, you know, like, do everything you can to settle it between each other first or within the church first before you bring it to civil court. Especially when we're talking about at the individual level. Sometimes it's the right decision. Sometimes, you know, a company or a corporation or even a person, it's like it's the only option for us. But man, most of the time there's things that we could re resolve far before that. So that's the second thing. So we have assault, we have litigation. Here's the third one. It's the most extreme, and it's murder. He says, in extreme cases, people may get so desperate to win a dispute that they will try to kill those who oppose them. While most people would not actually kill someone, we still stand guilty of murder in God's eyes when we harbor anger or contempt in our heart toward others. You go, yeah, I mean, I don't know that any of us in this room have ever murdered somebody, but I'll bet lots of us in this room have harbored anger and contempt against somebody that, that gets unleashed sometimes, right? Like if we're holding that inside of us, Sometimes what we're holding slips out of our hands and it gets unleashed on that person. And when you read what Jesus says about anger and contempt for people and murder, he says really it's kind of the same thing. 
Murder is just the next step. But it's all kind of, it's all sin. It's the same sort of sin, right? So these are attack responses, right? So we have these escape responses, denial, flight, suicide. We have these attack responses, you know, and then there's a third option to this. And um, I would challenge you that the first two options are, um, we, don't, we don't often choose those, you know, they kind of choose us. They're, those are the ones that come natural to us. But the third option is one that we have to choose. And the word that uh, Ken Sandy uses to describe it is a peacemaking response, a peacemaking response. This is not the natural one. This is the one that you and I need to choose. And he would say, and I appreciate this because I 100% agree with this. He would say that um, there's one main key to you and I choosing a peacemaking response. You know what it is? The key is the gospel. The key is the gospel. You know, I, I just briefly touched on this a couple weeks ago when we talked about what Jesus said about blessed are the, you know, the peacemakers, right? Um, we, we talked a little bit about that, but it's worth emphasizing again. Being a peacemaker, you know, reconciling with others with whom we have conflict is really hard, right? Like, let's be honest about that. There's pain involved. There's hurt involved. You know, many times we're suffering because of the conflict. And it's easy to say, to say we forgive somebody. You know, it's easy to, to kind of hold our tongue and not speak negatively about somebody, right? We go, you kind of, you hold it back. It's easy to go, I'm not going to roll my eyes when I see them or when somebody talks about them. But to truly make peace with somebody, like forget, genuinely forgiving them or accepting forgiveness, not harboring any ill will toward them, finding emotional healing, to truly make peace with somebody, man, we need to embrace the love of God in a, in a deep and personal and intimate way and understand the significance of the gospel. When I experience in the most personal and intimate ways the way that God has shown his love for me in Jesus, and this is, by the way, this is like the, the first thing that completely flipped around my perspective on conflict, on dealing with conflict. This is the first thing that I thought, oh man, this, this changes everything. When, when I get it in deep and personal, intimate ways, the way that God loves me, what he's done in sending Jesus for me, even though he knows my heart, even though he knows how selfish I could be, how prideful I could be, how rebellious I could be, you know, when I get that, it changes me. It, it transforms me, right? And these things that were once so important to me that I held on to, you know, the injustices that were done to me, all of a sudden they're like, it's not that big a deal. And these things that before maybe were inconsequential to me, I go, all of a sudden I go, man, these are paramount in my life. Like these things are so important, right? When I grasp how much God has done to reconcile me with himself, like when I really get it, I cannot help but want to extend that same sort of grace and acceptance and love and reconciliation to other people, even when they've hurt me deeply. The gospel, like when you think about being a peacemaker, it's not natural. Maybe for some of us, it's a little more natural than others. But, but an attack response, an escape response are very natural. 
But if you and I want to be the way that Jesus calls us to be and have a peacemaking response to conflict, we have to understand the gospel. We have to understand how much God loves us. I think Sandy says it so well. Let me read you a paragraph. I think this is so good. This is what he says. He says, the key to changing the way we deal with conflict is the gospel. The good news that God made peace with us and between us by sending his son to die for our sins and give us new life through his resurrection. When we believe in Jesus, we receive forgiveness and are united with Christ and one another. God then begins to transform us into the likeness of his son, enabling us to break free from sinful escaping and attacking habits and mature into peacemakers who reflect the glory of God's reconciling love in the midst of conflict. Guys, that, you know what you should do? You should take out your phone and you should take a picture of this. I'm not kidding. This is so well said. Like if you sit here this morning and you're like, I'm struggling. I have conflict in my life and I have been hurt by somebody and I'm struggling with the pain of that. I'm struggling to forgive them. Or you sit here and you go, I know I have deeply hurt somebody. I've, I've hurt them. And I, I don't even know how to tell them, how to apologize. I don't, I don't know. The answer is the gospel. The answer is to bring this before God. You know, it, it completely changes our paradigm when we go, I'm not focused on me anymore. I'm focused on him. The first two responses are me responses. I flee or attack because of the injustice done to me, right? A peacemaking response has nothing to do with me. I go, man, God is amazing. Look at what he's done. Look at who he is. Look at how he's reconciled me to himself. Man, I need to do that with other people. I will do that with other people. The gospel changes everything in our lives. See, I think we get too content with just a little bit where we go, yeah, you know, I'm not going to talk bad about them anymore. This person hurt me deeply. We've had conflict for a long time, and I'm just, I'm not going to think about it anymore. Or I'm not going to say mean things, or I'm not going to roll my eyes or whatever. And we spend a little bit of time with God, and we feel that, and we go, I feel good about that. But we're content with too little. Because if we would lean into God in deeper ways, we would experience there's a healing that when we take that hurt and that pain and we turn it over to him and we remember what he's done in reconciling us to himself, he replaces that with a peace that's different where I'm not annoyed by that person anymore. Like there is a deeper freedom that we could have the more and more that we understand the gospel. You tracking with me? This is so important. Let me end with this. I know my time's short. Let me, let me end with this. Um, and I'm going to dig into this in much deeper ways in the weeks to come. In each of the subsequent weeks, we're going to dig into this. Um, let me give you um, kind of a paradigm, a structure for dealing with conflict that I have found to be so, so helpful. So I, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, like every time I have conflict and I recognize I have conflict, I think of this structure. It's called the, he calls it the four G's of peacemaking. The four G's of peacemaking, okay? And so here's the first, let me just read them to you. Here's the first one. Glorify God. Glorify God. Get the log out of your eye. We'll talk about that one next week. Get the log out of your eye. Gently restore and go and be reconciled. 
read it again. Glorify God, get the log out of your eye, gently restore, and go and be reconciled. Let me, let me take two minutes and tell you about this first one because this is the other thing that absolutely fundamentally changed the way that I see conflict in my life. Before, I looked at conflict as um, an inconvenience. I, I would see it as a frustration. I would see it as, you know, a headache, a painful thing, a heartbreaking thing. I didn't see it as an opportunity to glorify God, right? Like I saw it through my own lens. Look at what this person has done to me. Or look at how I blew it and I offended this person. I, I saw it way more about me than I saw it about God. But when you go, man, maybe, maybe this conflict is an opportunity for me to bring God glory, that changes everything. Because the way that we respond to conflict can do um, one of two things on a spectrum, and I guess anything in the middle. We can either bring God glory by the way that we respond to conflict, or we could bring God a lot of shame, right? I bring God shame when my focus in the conflict is me. I bring God glory when my focus in the conflict is him. Tracking with me? Let, let me? let me read you what um, Sandy says about this. He says, instead of focusing on our own desires or dwelling on what others may do, we will rejoice in the Lord and bring him praise by depending on his forgiveness, wisdom, power, and love as we seek to faithfully obey his commands and maintain a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. See how that's all about him and not me, right? Guys, it, let me ask you, how do you think it would change our lives if we looked at conflict and we go, nah, it's now it's not just a headache, it's not just a frustration, it's not just an inconvenience, but maybe, just maybe, God is allowing this conflict in my life as an opportunity to help me grow and to help me experience the gospel in a deeper way and to help me bring glory to him. Like, how would that change the way that we that we see conflict. It wouldn't be an inconvenience anymore. It, it would be an opportunity. I go, you know what? I could either bring God shame. I could respond in a way that people would go, yeah, that's normal. That's how I'd respond. Somebody throws wings at you, you punch them. That's normal, right? Does that bring God glory? No. But man, somebody throws wings on you and you go, I'm going to offer you grace and not hurt you. That begs a question. Like what, what drives that? What causes that? The way that we respond to conflict can bring God incredible glory. So let me challenge you as we end here. Challenge you to take a, a, an inventory of your life and be honest and write down the conflict that you got going on. Either things that you've caused or things that others have caused you. Write it down and begin to talk to God about it and ask him, are you dealing with it? Did you run away from it? Are you in denial of it? Are you assaulting people verbally? Are you, you know, digging in and attacking people? Or do you want to resolve it in a peacemaking sort of way? Next week, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm excited about this, the conflict inside of ourselves. So the second G, get the log out of our eye. It's really about our conflict, what's going on inside of us. That's what we're going to dig into next week. We pray.